0: Hello there. This is CSW, creator of Incarnation Red. If you enjoy Incarnation Red and want to help keep it going, support the show on Patreon via the link listed in the episode notes down below. In return, you'll receive a variety of perks ranging from a monthly Q&A slash horror gaming livestream to a chance of having a mini-episode made based off of you and your fears released on the main RSS feed for everyone to hear. Additionally, all patrons receive access to an exclusive patron-only Discord server where you can chat with fans and myself, watch live streams of pre-release episode editing, and join in on regular horror movie nights. I rely on your support to keep the show going, so any amount, no matter how small, will help me bring you more scary stories more often. Link is in the episode notes down below. Additionally, if you are a fan of audio drama podcasts in general and want early access releases plus bonus content from Incarnation Red, absolutely sign up for Apollo+, Plus, a creator-owned platform where every subscriber helps audio fiction creators for just $10 a month. You can think of Apollo+, Plus almost as the Netflix of audio dramas, offering exclusive content, ad-free and early access releases, behind-the-scenes content, super cuts, and a whole, whole lot more, all by supporting the creators you already know and love. With Apollo Plus, 70% of the revenue goes directly to us creators and provides all of us, both creator and listener, with a place to enjoy the shows we love, such as Afflicted, 13, and of course Incarnation Red, and a whole, whole lot more. And of course, Hemophobia, my upcoming horror podcast, will be there too, so join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app, or by going to apollopods.com slash plus, that's P-L-U-S. Incarnation Red is a horror anthology podcast and thus contains material not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, this episode features voice acting contributions from two very talented people, It Me of the podcast Inko and Tal Minear of the podcasts What Will Be Here, Sidequesting, and Someone Dies in This Elevator. If you haven't listened to any of their stuff, please, please do yourself a favor and go do so. Their shows are linked in the episode notes down below. Hope you enjoy. <laughs> episode 27 Blackout, part Two I stare at the blinking shine still lingering on my eyes. The last gray remnant of where the lights were until just a second ago. How could it have happened? Sandra and I loaded the flashlights with brand new batteries, ones that would last 24 hours at very least, even if the light was left on the whole time. But they just went out, not even an hour after we gave them to the kids. I run my hand over my face, try to think as the wails of the children rise from all around me. Okay, I finally manage, rising to my feet. Kids, I'm going to have to be right back. I'm going to run to my bedroom to get my flashlight, but I'll be right back, I promise, okay? None of the kids are happy with this plan, but I turn to do it quickly enough for it to have hopefully never happened, just like this entire night, but James grabs hold of my shirt before I can leave the same complaint he said more times than I can count on this night alone James buddy I say I need you to help me out right now can you help that out right now I need you to be my big man and keep your brother and sister from being scared I need you to make them feel better I need you to be strong for them okay can you do that for me champ in what little moonlight seeps into the room I can see the bare outline of his face and I watch that outline hesitantly, reluctantly nod. I pat his shoulder, then rush to my bedroom. I fumble around Sandra's nightstand, but the flashlight isn't there. So I go back around to mine, find it on the shelf underneath, closest to the floor, and I scrape it up immediately. As I fumble for the switch, I... I look up. It's coming from the ceiling. From James's room. I stare at the ceiling. I wonder. Wonder if there were no ceiling, then... Then what would I be looking at? Nothing, probably, but... But if something... Then what? I stand perfectly still, listening to the sound and mingled with it is a much closer sound. The sound of running water. I turn around. It's coming from the master bathroom. I flick on the flashlight. The bathroom door is slightly ajar. I push it open, wave my flashlight around the room quickly, widely, memorizing everything under its beam the towel rack with two matching bath towels on it, the closed door of the master closet, and, illuminated in the wild reflections of light from the two vanities in the room, the bathtub, two-thirds filled with water seeping lazily from the spout. And in that water, Sandra, naked and sitting upright, staring forward catatonically. Her focus is on nothing. Her eyes are dead. Sandra? I say. What in the hell are you doing? Why are you taking a bath? She doesn't respond. She stares directly forward. I reach over and turn off the faucet. I open my mouth and she shifts her gaze to me without moving her eyes, her head rotating cleanly like the head of a doll. Her mouth is half open, but no part of her face is moving. Sandra? Sandra, please, say something. Her stare is penetrating. Her expression is deader than I thought possible for a living person. Yet it is sentient, conscious in its torpor, alive. We remain in silence. She offers me no answer, and something in me knows that no question could make her speak. So we just stare. She stands. Never breaking her eye contact with me. Letting water run in rivulets down her naked body. Making a sound unlike anything I've heard come out of her. Out of anyone. And it's only now that I... realize her skin is lighter. Paler. And I... can't put a finger on it, but there's something wrong about her... body. Something off. Something abnormal about the way she rises out of the water. I look down and see that her knees are... The lights come back on. I blink rapidly, then look back up at her face, then her legs completely reassess her whole body. Her skin is normal. Her body is normal, and her expression has changed. Eyes widened a little, mouth still half open, but in a more conscious way. She stares at me in a suspended confusion. I turn off the flashlight. I open my mouth to speak, and Isabella starts crying from the living room. I close my mouth look down. And then I raise my head and leave the room. I quickly step back into the living room, holding my flashlight forward just to show the kids I have it. Here, I say. Daddy has the flashlight, it's okay. The lights are back on, everything's okay. But between her moans, I divine that Isabella is crying about something else. I ask and prod her in a variety of ways to discern what it is. Then I look around the floor of the living room, Zane's Tonka trucks are where they were just previously, but... Isabella's Barbie doll is nowhere to be found. My look at her. Did you lose your doll? Is that what it is? She nods with tears still running down her cheeks. I sigh. try to put together some sort of consolation. I look around the room, scan the floor and the table and the recliner chairs, but there's no sign of it. Hey,
1: Dad, um... I know you went up there earlier, but since the lights are back on, do um, you think you could look at my room again?
0: I grit my teeth. Isabella continues crying. James repeats his question. I grit. She cries. He repeats. I hear Sandra's voice from my bedroom.
1: Aw, did you lose your doll, Isabella? It's okay, honey. You and me. We'll find it.
0: I turn around. Sandra is wrapped in a pink bathrobe, stepping hastily through the kitchen with a smile on her face. She comes over to Isabella and picks her up, pats her head lightly, then puts her back down.
1: All right, let's take a look.
0: She says, and starts looking around the area. Her skin is normal. Her eyes are normal. Her voice is light and airy. Dad, I turn around. Exhale. Yes, of course, buddy. We can go look at your room again. Let's go. I start toward the stairs, but he stops me. I turn around.
1: Do, do you think maybe I could stay down here? I, I just, I, just, just. Uh, I'm really scared, Dad. And I would feel better if you just went in there and checked it out.
0: I look at James's quivering face. He's inhaling and exhaling ravenously, his little chest swelling and shrinking. In his eyes, I see the verge of tears, his brows arched in a near caricature of terror. And in those watering eyes... I see a plea, a desperate desire, a need. His bottom lip shakes. I bite mine. I take James by the shoulder, pull him out of the living room, into the kitchen. I kneel down to meet his eye level. James, I say. There is nothing, nothing in this house that can hurt you.
1: How do you know that?
0: Because I... Can you at least just tell me what it is you saw in your room?
1: Well, I was in bed, and and the nightlight Mom gave me was on, and I was almost asleep, but, but then it went out, the, the nightlight, and I wasn't. I wasn't scared because I knew the power might go out again, and I had my flashlight right behind me, but when I turned it on, it didn't turn on right.
0: What do you mean?
1: Well, you you know how when you hold your hand over a flashlight, like right over the light, it blocks out most of it, but not all of it, and the light that comes through looks really, really red?
0: Why not?
1: It was like that. But I didn't have my hand over the light, or my blankets, or my pajamas, or anything. I checked, and there was something on the light, that was blocking the light. And then I, I heard something. It was like a whisper, sort of, but a voice didn't sound like, like a voice. Or a, a, and, and then I heard footsteps in my room, and I just, I just started moving a flashlight as much as I could. And then I saw... I saw...
0: His words trail off. In his eyes, I see a series of nightmares invisibly play out. So before he can say anything more, I put my hand on his shoulder and speak for him. Champ, you know, you know in your heart that there's nothing to be afraid of in your room. I know you know that. At the end of this night, when you wake up tomorrow morning, Everything will seem normal again, and you'll see. You'll see it. That all the fears you had were just that. Fears. Nothing real, nothing that lasts longer than a night. But you know what is real? You know what will last longer than tonight? The same thing you'll see whether you look around your room tomorrow morning, or if you look around it tonight, your room Your house. Your family. And right now, your family is in trouble. Your siblings are just as scared as you are, if not more. They need you to be strong for them, because if you don't, who will? That is what it means to be a man. It's your responsibility to protect them. You need to be strong. You need to be brave. Need to be my big man and take care of your family because they're all looking at you. James looks into my eyes. His tears have dried, and his face has stopped quivering.
1: But Dad, what if I're right to be scared? What if I hide how scared I am, and then they think they're safe, and then, and then they're not and then something terrible happens to them wouldn't that mean I'm lying to them
0: I stare at my son he stares back and it feels like like he's looking at something he can't even see so I look down I hand him my flashlight and sigh. Go on and stay down here. I'll go look at your room. I stand and leave the kitchen, head directly toward the stairs. I look out at the living room. Sandra and Isabella are on their hands and knees searching for the doll, while Zane sits inattentively watching. James is standing at the threshold of the kitchen, and I make eye contact with him. I try to show him how steadily I'm walking up the stairs with no problem at all, without even my flashlight. He stares back with darkness in his eyes. At the top of the stairs, I turn right. Both the game room light and the bedroom light on the far end of it are on. I see James' bedroom beyond the door, left open from when I was there. I continue walking, steadily, with no problem at all, without even my flashlight, because why would I need it? It's just a room. Just a room. Halfway across the game room, I stop. I turn my head to the side, thinking I can hear one of the kids calling for me. but there's nothing. Just silence. I turn forward again. I continue walking. I cross the threshold into James' bedroom. I look around because... Well, he needs me to have looked around. He needs to know that I inspected his room thoroughly. So I check every corner every sector of the room and he needs to know that I checked his bathroom so I open the door turn on the lights I take a look inside check behind the drawn shower curtain search inside the cabinets look at the vanity I leave the bathroom close the door I scan the room, but nothing has changed. But he... He needs to know that I was thorough. That I looked through the closet. So I do. I open the door. Sift through each hanging shirt. Look underneath them on the floor. I close it, but... Well, he... He needs to know that I looked underneath his bed. He needs me to do it. He needs me to do that for him. I lift the tail of the comforter and the sheets hanging at the foot of the bed. But there's nothing underneath. Not a single thing. Almost as if he knew... I was going to look and so he removed all the things underneath to make it look totally clear completely uninhabited <laughs> like if like if something really had been down there it moved all the objects to make it seem like it had never been and it had never been in the room at all it had never been anywhere when in reality, it was still somewhere in the room, somewhere else watching. I hold my eyes shut. I hold them shut for as long as I can. And when I open them, I'm not in James's bedroom at all. I'm in my living room. But the lights are on again. The blinds are drawn. The family portrait hangs proudly over the mantle. I'm sitting in one of the recliner chairs, but... Not the one I usually sit in. Someone else is sitting in that one. I don't know that I should look. I feel... Like if I do, then something bad is going to happen. I shouldn't do. I freeze. I turn toward the direction of the noise. It's coming from the staircase across from me. A very, very tall man is sitting cross-legged on the landing just where the stairs turn rightward. The corner where he sits is covered in darkness, and I can't see his face or much of his torso towering upward toward the ceiling. I can only see his crossed legs, each longer than my entire body, laying one over the other haphazardly, and his knife-like fingers lying in his lap. It is only then that I notice there is a woman sitting on my living room floor, perhaps 20 years old with long blonde hair, and I know that it's Isabella, and she is smiling at me, smiling with both rows of teeth. Her lips are spread so far open I can see her gums. And her eyes scream so widely at me that it looks as if she has no eyelids at all. She just sits, stares, smiles. I turn back toward the man on the stairs. Why shouldn't I look at the other chair? I ask him. Yeah, I can't count the number of jumps out. Yeah, I've seen the ceiling And I've seen the roof And blast is so fair <laughs> This is more than You know. I watch him while he speaks. It doesn't even look as if he is saying the words or even moving at all. It's more like like the house around me is speaking and he is its puppet left inanimate. I turn to Isabella. Why are you here? I ask. She saw Sterlon. Isabella doesn't break eye contact, but she lifts up her doll for me to see. Its clothes are all removed, and its legs are turned completely backwards. I turn. Outside, something thumps against the drawn window. Something in the backyard. I look back to the tall man, as if to ask permission. I. I need to take care of that. I say. I and you. No part of him moves while he speaks, or moves at all. He doesn't even seem to be breathing. I look back at Isabella. Her smile is still wide and strained, looking more like a grimace each time I look at it. Because there is no joy in her eyes. But there is something. Something small and dark, beginning to show just at the base of her eyes. It even looks... Red. This can surely be this. Don't you think don't like this can always be this. just so perfect and it fits so well. Nah, nothing could. There me run this perfection last forever I turn to my right and I look at the other recliner It's me But much much older wrinkled skin sagging parched and the head is shaking quivering in a minute spasm And in its quaking state, it turns slowly, slowly, towards me, without moving the eyes, rotating cleanly like the head of a doll. It looks into me, quivering still. I look back at Isabella, and the blood is running down her cheeks, weeping from her eyes and lips. The doll shakes in her hand. I turn back to my other self. Something is wrong. It is leaning back now, haphazardly, collapsed and disassembled, and its mouth looks squished, like its lips are being pushed together and the jaw is uneven with the face. It's still shaking, and it's still looking at me, and it's still looking through me. That's something it can't even see. Complete and changing What on not there? listening. The lights are back on. I am sitting on the floor of James's bedroom. In front of me, standing on the carpet, is Isabella's doll. Its legs are twisted backwards. I thrashed my feet. I sprint out of the bedroom, through the game room, down the stairs. My children raise their heads, then their voices, then their screams. I burst open the front door, sprint out into the night, into the storm, into the rain and the lightning and the thunder, and I slip on the wet grass of my yard, falling to my knees. My hands are filthy. My head is soaking wet. I look up to the sky, to the clouds sitting like a ceiling with something behind it, and I hear Sandra's voice behind me, calling my name. I turn around, and I see my house. I see its shape, its perfect shape, its bricks and textures and roof panels, its windows and chimney and satellite dish, its fences and mailbox and driveway, and with the lights back on, it looks like a star. A star that was mine. A star that was mine to protect, to take care of, to hold close and tightly, and treasure it until the day I... The lights are gone. Sandra's still standing in the doorway. But she isn't calling my name anymore. I look at her face. Then I look at her legs. Her knees are facing the wrong way. And she smiles at me. And the smile is not hers. <laughs> the door is shut before I even get to my feet, sprinting and screaming Sandra's name. I slam against the door and grab for the knob, pulling and twisting it relentlessly, but it won't budge. I turn, grab a rock from Sandra's garden, throw it through the window, and throw myself through. said it's going to be a big one, going to be one that lasts a while, lasts all night. I sit in my recliner chair, I click the buttons on the TV remote. The storm outside is raging. But here In my living room... Well... It doesn't seem so bad. Zane isn't moving anymore. Isabella isn't moving either. And James... <laughs> my big man... Yet. Still so little. He's no longer parading around the room, back and forth, looking through the window curtains. He isn't moving at all anymore. Because he's okay. We're all okay. And it won't be long before... I'm... Okay, as well. Just a few little lights and sounds. The house is silent. The TV screen looks at me, completely blank and powerless. I click the remote buttons anyway. Because even though nothing in the house moves or speaks or laughs or loves or lives, most importantly, nothing changes. Nothing. Because some things never change. Just as this house will always be for me at least a home From the beginning, I said this was the most unique case I had ever faced. This remains true to this day, and I said that a case unlike any I have ever encountered requires an approach unlike anything I have ever done. With that in mind, perhaps it is indeed foolish of me to fail to expect this, to fail to expect the measures that I will now have to go to, to fail to expect that which I have already done. Equally foolish as well, To expect not to have to to tell the truth. But I'm under no delusion now. I see fully the severity of the situation. My gaze upon this case is lucid. And in this clarity, it's time to come clean. My name is Dr. Adam Dwyer, and I know not what I have found. Incarnation Red is created, written, narrated, and edited by CSW. The opening theme was written and performed by Annika Hanson. All music and sound effects used in this podcast are created in-house from scratch for more information and regular updates follow me on twitter at csw underscore horror or visit my website cswhorror.com or like the show's facebook page incarnation red as always spelled r-e-a-d for behind the scenes looks and other scary content you can follow me on tiktok or you can follow me on instagram at incarnation red thank you for listening